everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. He is an internationally renowned speaker, author, global consultant, and Zig Ziglar mentee, and this just for starters. His many works include The American Dream from an Indian Heart, From Abstracts to Absolutes, Missives, Motives, and Maxims, just to name a few, and is a contributing author to Zig Ziglar's Top Performance, whose life and legacy is honored in my next guest's latest great read, Twilight. How One Man Gave Unity in a Verse to My Universe. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome to testimony a high honor indeed, founder of MalaMinistries.org, managing partner and CEO of Skylife Success, co-founder of Krish Denim Training, itinerant evangelist, and so much more, Krish Denim. Reverend Denim, Krish, if I may, welcome to testimony. Well, thank you, Jensen, for having me. Uh, when I hear my own <laughs> when I hear my own resume, I think I'm at my funeral. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm still buying green bananas. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Before we get into your wonderful, I would say, uh, poetic and profound read, Twilight, I would love for you to share with our listeners just how an Indian-born immigrant married to a Michigan-born Christian came to faith in Jesus Christ and the roles your wife, mother-in-law, and Zig Ziglar himself would play in it all. Chris Denham, please tell us that story. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's about the best phrase question I've been asked because it encompasses the complete journey. So thank you for consolidating that. <laughs> but uh, I was raised an Orthodox Hindu, met my beautiful bride uh, in business school in India. She was born in the U.S. but raised in India. And so one fine day she brings home this boy from a different faith, and uh, her parents, who were very big in the Methodist Church in India, promptly said no, at least her father did. But her mother said, there's something about this boy, I met him in other contexts, and uh, I think he would be a good win for our side not something I would advocate on my own. We were unequally yoked, but the woman was wise in the way she perceived me, and I'm grateful she did. Uh, and she promised she would pray for me every day by name. So seven years later, I had the privilege of coming to Christ, but Mr. Ziegler was the one who fulfilled that journey. So we left India, came away to America. I went to work for Mr. Ziegler, and uh, I tell people this all the time. You didn't have to be a Christian to work for Mr. Ziegler, but he was God's greatest salesperson and odds of you leaving without becoming one was about zero. So uh, he went to work on me because I used to travel with him, and everything he sold me I wanted. I didn't want this faith. Uh, I was pretty sure that I was too smart for faith. I was pretty sure that uh, I could work my way into whichever God would have me. And so my wife uh, accepted me, my mother-in-law prayed for me, and Mr. Ziegler convinced me, and uh, that was God's holy trifecta that uh, brought me to the foot of the cross on October 3rd of 1993. I had the privilege of being baptized with my son, with Mr. Ziegler and my mother-in-law and my bride in attendance. 
Amen and amen. Beautifully said, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Krish Denham, founder of Success Life Ministries and author of his latest great read, Twilight. Chris, why the naming of your book, Twilight, How One Man Gave Unity and a Verse to My Universe, and just who is that, quote, one man and that one verse, as the subtitle declares? Yeah, the the, the one man, obviously, uh, Mr. Ziegler was uh, the one who used Acts 17.26, which is the verse. Acts 17.26 is the tail end of Paul's uh, Mars Hill speech where he's speaking to people of different faiths and unknown gods. And Mr. Ziegler always looked at me and he says that uh, we are one blood, you are my brother. Having been raised in India in a cultural context and the hierarchy of age and all the other components, the odds of a man that advanced in wisdom and that advanced in accomplishment, author of many best-selling books, embracing someone as low as me on the hierarchy of his organization, this would have never happened in India. But here was a man, you know, put his arm around me, called me son, pointed in the same direction, always talked about heaven in a present context or a present continuous context. Uh, It was just very endearing. But one thing he thought of to always remind me was that he worshipped a colorblind God and it was his job to offer me colorful hope. And uh, I remember during a series of discussions with different people, one day I just articulated to him, I said, well, I'm not black, I'm not white. He says, well, you're twilight. (laughs) 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 And uh, I I mean, in the book I write, actually, there's one sentence, I think, that actually gave poetic justice, but twilight is that part of God's amazing creation where the universe blushes at its own beauty because it begins to speed away from the light and begins to embrace what was left, the radiated light that comes through the evening. And uh, I truly felt that way around him. He uh, he considered me a blessing. He considered me a joy. He considered me his, uh, he called me his oldest son. And it was all through the kinship of God, because he says we are united in one blood. And that verse meant so much to him that... Uh, this time during the race issues that America is facing, all the prejudicial narratives that are being thrown around by everybody who's an expert on everything, from ice cream to the Constitution, I suddenly said, hey, let me just peel back the layer of my own life and try to see if I can understand why he never allowed me to feel marginalized. And then I realized it was this verse. And in prayer, one day I came up with seven principles that I was able to attribute to this one verse in the Bible. That is fantastic, and that will lead me into my next question, uh, which you can also elaborate on your last statement, and that is, Krish Denham, in my research of your wonderful mentor and friend Zig Ziglar, he listed 10 rules for success, and I'd like to read them now with question for you following. One, have a dream. Two, think as a champion. Three, be committed. Four, do it right now. Five, be prepared. Six, keep your word. Seven, set goals. Eight, evaluate where you are. Nine, have integrity. And ten, don't quit. Krish, sir, of the ten listed here, which, in your view, is the most important for success in life, and is there any you would add your thoughts? 
I think as you were reading, I could hear him say that and my tears are flowing down my face because I don't think I would pick one over the other, but I would amalgamate some of the two or three of them that would actually come into other statements that I utilize. Uh, one is, you know, when you look at the goals and you look at preparation and you look at don't quit, he would often say to me, live your day by the clock, but your life with a vision. And uh, there was an urgency in the temporal. There was an urgency in the mood of the moment. He says, your first appointment every day is with yourself. Uh, I used to always say to myself, you know, most people will say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Do I have a prayer at all? <laughs> I would say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Here I am. What's your call? And truly believed that there was deliverance, that discipline did precede uh, dignity in some way, and that dignity bred discipline. So when you were reading that list about those things, he would oft say, you know, he would quote Adrian Rogers, it's never too late to start, it's always too soon to quit. Yesterday ended with last night. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Happy birthday to you. And stuff like that, you know. So uh, those principles were interwoven. I think we, he, he wrote them in a quantitative mindset and gave them as a set of 10 because people would ask him about uh, what are the 10 most important things. But for him, success was uh, never a destination. It was always a journey. Uh, the concept of making sure, in my book, American Dream, I wrote, I remember, that hit your wagon to a star. Uh, he would quote for, from the book of Joel by saying that, you know, let the strong admit that they are weak. Uh, so asking for help, seeking guidance, counsel, wisdom. He had mentors that he sat in front of with a book and a pad and a pen. Uh, so, I mean, you know, as you were reading that list, I just, I mean, I could see his life flash. And of course, but then as the old saying goes, I was just around him for about 20 years. <laughs> amen and amen. <laughs> just uh, 20 years, right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to internationally renowned speaker, author, and global consultant, Krish Denem. Krish, um, as a man of faith, purpose, resolve, and determination by all accounts, and yes, twilight-colored skin as well. <laughs> what have you found to be your greatest obstacle in overcoming life's circumstances and your solution for doing just that? Uh, my, my greatest obstacle in the earlier days was not believing I belonged, and uh, I think overcoming that paved the way for much more beautiful things later on. I think if I'd embraced that principle that I was not responsible for my heritage, but accountable for my future, and let me elaborate. Earlier on, my obstacles were all based on the isms and schisms that defined me. I would always be a first-generation immigrant. I'd always have an accent. I'd always come from the wrong side of the tracks. I did not have the pedigree. Even in India, I struggled with some of these things because I was not academically gifted. And all of those things followed me here, even though this opportunity was wide open and you could begin anywhere. Uh, I think uh, my inhibitions limited me, and most of the obstacles I had were self-imposed, as I found out later, because there were some very freeing elements. For example, when I heard that statement, uh, None of us are responsible for our heritage, but we are accountable for our future. So I could not blame the baggage that I was given. It's my lot in life. It's what you do with it. Uh, Mr. Ziegler often also told me, he says, you can't climb a smooth mountain. Uh, you need footholds. And uh, he <laughs> says the food you eat on that mountaintop is 
nothing grows on the mountaintop because the food you eat on the mountaintop only grows in the valleys. And so the way I overcame and the way I would recommend to your listeners, if anybody is going through that valley of peril or that valley of doubt, the overarching principle that would erase a lot of this under which many things will, will grow and bloom is the principle, believe you belong. Uh, my definition of success used to be based on who I was, where I came from, and what I brought to the party. It's since changed. It's a little longer, but uh, since it's recorded, they can hear it again. My definition of success now is success is not who you are in relation to the isms and schisms that prevent you. Success is going to where success is and hoping by sheer centripetal force you're sucked in. Well, Christian, and no one can tell me that you don't have a brilliant mind by virtue of how you of how you <laughs> express your thoughts. Just amazing. You have lectured before thousands, filling stadiums across the globe with accolades following from industry's finest, some of which include the United States Army, Christian Dior, Toshiba, Hitachi, Apollo Hospitals, and Texas Instruments, just to name a few major ministries and churches, and all with your engaging style of preaching, reaching, and teaching your own words, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as you so eloquently and honestly share, in Twilight, great disappointments would be the precursor. Can you explain? Sure. Every time uh, I thought I was getting ahead, every time I thought I had a foothold, and again, you know, this goes back to what the gospel's promise is. Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus says, there's nothing you can do that is good enough that'll get you to me. There's nothing you can do that is bad enough that'll keep you from me because I hang in the balance. And until I found the great mediator who was going to rescue me, I wrestled with a lot of these issues. And the issue was, hey, my, my ability has brought me so far but someone's inability to recognize my sheer brilliance is what is keeping me behind, or someone's prejudice, or someone, someone's desire to put me down. Uh, one of the illustrations I give in the book is a major event that took place in Dallas where I was supposed to speak, but they said they could give me a small window because they had to juggle the schedules of all the other celebrities there. My immediate reaction is, you know, that's what victimization is, and that's what victimhood is. You go to the lowest common denominator because you can justify. So I looked at Mr. Ziegler, and I said, oh, yeah, it's easy to cut the immigrant because, you know, they can't, of course, get rid of the bigwigs. That's victimization, and that is basically justification, not by faith, but justification by action. Mr. Ziegler looked at me and said, well, let's solve that problem. And I never thought the problem could be solved because, hey, they told me I couldn't do it. But he said, we'll find a way. And finding the way was interesting when he says, I, it's only time that they can give you. So what if I gave them back some of my time? They can give that to you. And then I thought, you know, that is, that is the message of realizing that there is some, someone out there that controls what actually happens. And we need to respond to that invitation rather than react to all these interjections that go place. And so I remember even as an immigrant, when I speak to the migrant communities, I, they ask me, how did you succeed? How did you get to be a communicator in America, starting with an accent? And 
it's amazing. You know, I do communication classes now. 100% of my audience is white, and they all pay top dollar to learn from me <laughs> how to speak effectively. Love that. I looked at them and I said, I realized being an immigrant meant you needed to integrate and not irritate. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And that's the American dream. I mean, it's a country that's less than 250 years old with most of its inherent graces borrowed. I mean, America is too young to have problems. Most of our antiques are plastic. Point well taken. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to Krish Danam, a master mentor, incredible motivational speaker, his mentor, Zig Ziglar. Uh, Krish, in the Hindu faith, to which you were born, there are thousands of gods, as I understand it, that give no real assurance of eternal salvation or reward other than a better, quote, next life if one's, quote, karma is good enough. But even then, no guarantees. That said, Krish Sir, how are you reaching your motherland, India, with the gospel of the kingdom, and what don't we know about this beautiful people, often dipped in great beauty, grace, and humility? Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, very well put. India is a land, it's a coalition of contrarieties, it's uh, got roughly a billion plus people. The density of the population creates its own geographical nightmare because I want the, your audience to understand this that. India is a country that has about four times the population of the U.S. crammed into a land size that's about one-sixth in geographical area. So density causes problems and all of the poverty and all the mandates that come with it. But when you look at the karmic worldview or the Hindu philosophical worldview, uh, they do believe, as you accurately pointed out, in a pantheon of gods. Uh, they have, they say, roughly 300 million, and that's not gods like you would understand them in a Western context, anything that is pious, anything that is holy, anything that uh, you would consider superstitious, you would attribute a holiness to. So um, you would ascribe piety to just about anything that you revere or anything that you're afraid of or anything that could cause a taboo of superstition. So that's why the multiplicity of gods. But in reaching out to them, I try to use the intellect that God gave them. They are the most brilliant people in terms of, if you look at the scientific advancements of the last hundred years, odds are they would have been an Indian gentleman of a Hindu background somewhere writing code for it, right down to the Apollo 11, uh, the astrophysicist who contributed to it and all of that. Many of them had that Indian genealogy. So I decided I would use a quantitative apologetic to appeal to them, and I would do it with sensitivity. Now, I use Mahatma Gandhi's approach when I approach the Hindu people, and it's simply this. Gandhi, when talking to a Christian evangelist, was asked by the Christian evangelist, what does Christianity need to do to be accepted? And Gandhi said, live like him, apostolically, love like him, it was central to his nature, don't water down your own worldview, but make sure you understand other worldviews. And the understanding other worldviews is something, if we do, we could reach more people for the gospel. So I immersed myself over eight years, and I studied almost all the other worldviews. In fact, I do, a, I do a lecture on worldviews where I explain what that worldview means, but what the Judeo-Christian answer to each of the traditions or rituals would be. And you have to go down it quantitatively. You can't just say, hey, you know what? A billion people may be ignorant because that's not fair and it's not even just. No. 
Right. Ladies and gentlemen, beautifully said, uh, you're listening to international apologist Chris Denham, his latest must-read, Twilight. Chris, that actually leads me into my next question. I am so loving our conversation today. You recently quoted in a devotional, I just received today actually, quote, We say that God's word will not return void, and then void his word by sending it out in a way that does not offend man. We directly offend God by indirectly trying not to offend man. So question, as an evangelist and follower of Christ, we are exhorted to, quote, share the engrafted word with all meekness and humility, end quote, and quote, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves, end quote. How does this, how do these scriptures comport with your statement, or does it? Can you elaborate? It does, because actually, if you look at the genesis of that statement, it's something I came up with this morning when someone said, uh, they gave me this illustration. As Christians, we're supposed to act like sons of the Father, which means walk around with an inheritance. Instead, we walk around like orphans dealing with scraps. And uh, I thought on that for a second, and I thought to myself, huh, many, many a time in my conversation, I act like an orphan of my Savior, saying, let me dance around his word a little bit so that they don't think bad of me and will continue to feed me, when I'm supposed to act like a son of the Father and with authority give that which he has to give. Now, there's the basis of this is the two commandments that came from our Lord, or one commandment and one commission. But the Great Commission says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And great commandment was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I tell people, sometimes we do disservice to those two edicts. If you just love without telling people who sent you, you're a nonprofit. If you just love, if you just tell people who sent you and don't love them, you're irritating. <laughs> so you need to do both. Exactly. And I think if you do both, God's word will not come back void. So I don't know if I made sense, but, uh, you know, I'm also watching the clock. <laughs> you did. And don't worry about the clock here. I'm watching that for us. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to Chris Denham, Reverend Chris Denham, his latest must read, Twilight. Chris, how important. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit to overcoming strongholds and mindsets counter to Christ and biblical worldview? Your thoughts? Uh, and again, you know, I'm not a doctrinal expert, but I am uh, ordained technically through the Church of the Assemblies of God, my church ordination, and uh, they believe strongly in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a layperson differently, more as a counselor in the triune, the third part of the Trinity, when Jesus himself said, I go away, but I leave with you a counselor who will, and the word is never, and never is a long time, regardless of which way you look at it. So what God was saying is, I came from the Father, I fulfilled my work on earth, but I leave with you a counselor and a spirit who will guide you. So my baptism of the Spirit is an immersion every morning by asking the Holy Spirit, the only one that we can see and feel because it dwells within us or He dwells in us, uh, for that counsel and guidance. And that's what I call my baptism of the Spirit. Uh, I may not have some of the gifts of it uh, yet, and I continue to pray for them, uh, but that's again maybe doctrinal discussion. But in just a layperson, which is what I am, going out and trying to seek and to serve, 
Uh, I tell people half the time you got to speak with the people who have who are lost, but the other time you got to encourage those who are found. <laughs> amen and amen. And I'm reminded of that scripture: "Faith worketh by love." If there isn't love in the equation, no matter what we say or do, my view to what and really why will they want to hear what we have to say and share? So we're winding up. I wish we had more time. Krish, I remember asking you off the record, quote, what breaks your heart? And your answer was very profound to me. So as a man of God, business professional, global consultant, trainer, and spiritual mentor, your footprint in over 70 countries and counting, your thoughts and why for our listeners today. Well, I think if I said it, and I may I may be uh, thinking of another question, but usually when I'm asked what breaks my heart is I talk about the loss of wonder and the loss of innocence. And I think uh, basically we need to go back to the amazement of creation. We need to go back to the simplicity of instruction, go back to moral law, moral lawgiver, and have wonder back in our homes that uh, father still is the uh, head of the household, uh, mom spiritually guides us and leads us or some of the basics but i think i usually ascribe what breaks my heart when i look at the culture in chaos in america especially and america as america goes the rest of the world tries to follow is the loss of that innocence and the loss of wonder and we need if we get back to those basics i think uh, adrian rogers that great preacher once said we're raising a generation based on rights and all you have is a revolution if we raise them based on responsibility we may have a revival Amen and amen. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to internationally acclaimed author, speaker, global consultant, and mentee of motivational icon Zig Ziglar, plus CEO of Skylife Success and founder of Mala Ministries, Krish Danem, his latest must-read, Twilight, How One Man Gave Unity and a Verse to My Universe. You can learn more about Krish's work, ministry, and mission by visiting skylifesuccess.com and malaministries.org and get his books, invite him to speak, and learn from a master mentor with a humble heart, success principles in life and in Christ. You will be blessed that you did. Reverend Denham Krish, if I may thank you for taking precious time to share just a little of your amazing, sometimes painful, yet victorious story as recounted in your latest great read, Twilight, which while many in size, most powerful in proclamation and a wonderful tribute to your mentor of blessed memory, Zig Ziglar, the quote, one man who gave unity in a verse to your universe and whose legacy you carry and beautifully so and if i may a letter from him directly to you in the latter days of his life and i quote dear krish as my friend and quote token immigrant i've appreciated your loyalty ability and sense of humor you bring a sense of purpose and commitment to excellence that inspires us all your love for our lord and your family is a joy to see see you over the top your friend zig ziglar friend indeed as you were to him 
Krish Danem, we thank you. God bless you. Zig would be proud. Thank you. Appreciate it. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.